I made choices um, because I was drinking. And then I was drinking because of the choices that I made. That's when the spiral really got out of control for me. I didn't have those people that I had enough of a relationship with where I could follow up with them about the things they were saying. Addiction, isolation, and the power of relationships to bring restoration. Join us today as we listen to Rick's story on the Restorers podcast. I want to give a special thank you to our season two sponsors, MHEB Incorporated, Amish Gazebos, Espen Shade Farms, and Espen Shade Mills. To learn more about our sponsors, visit wsm.org backslash podcast. Well, today we are here with Tawana Reed, who is our Director of Case Management and our Access Center. Thanks for joining us, Tawana. You're very welcome. Thanks for having and, me. And uh, we're excited to listen to Rick's story and uh, and just see what we can learn from him about yes. us and about Water Street. Yeah. So let's jump in. So uh, for me, I think alcoholism was an inherited trait. Every social activity revolved around alcohol. As I grew up, um, I got to a place where it seemed like the natural course of action. So Rick, his story, we're starting right at the beginning of his story, where it came from. Obviously, we'll learn more about that later with the addictions and how it impacted his life. But that comment, like it's an inherited trait for him. What? How, how do you feel about that? Like, is that common? Do you feel like oh, yeah. it's like just you see that in families oh, over and over? Absolutely. I see it here every single day where people say it's generational and you don't really understand. They mm-hmm. learned it from their grandpa. It was okay to sit at the table with your grandpa during Christmas and have a beer and grandpa pass it to you to have a sip. And that's where you learned it was okay to drink. Mm-hmm. I'm from generational addiction and I broke the cycle, but it was hard for others to do so. So that is so true and so prevalent yeah. here at Water Street. Yeah, and I'm guessing it's it's you know, you talk about especially the social side mm-hmm. of it. There's a social side. Yeah, absolutely. There's also genetic predisposition yes. sometimes that we see where where, you know, one drink and suddenly yeah. that becomes a pattern yeah, for somebody. Yeah. But uh but absolutely we see that in families, yeah. it gets passed down yeah. and uh and I think we we can sometimes underplay the importance of that social side. Because it becomes a norm. Yeah. Instead of not it just being, Oh, we can't yeah. do that. It's a yeah. norm for them. All right. So let's let's hear a little bit more of Rick's story. But I was so functioning as an alcoholic that the repercussions were never severe until probably when I turned 31 and I lost my first job because I was drinking on the job. The shame of that, of being fired, when I always considered myself to be a stellar hard worker, um, that's when the spiral really got out of control for me. And it's kind of... It was kind of cyclical in, I made choices um, because I was drinking. And then I was drinking because of the choices that I made. I didn't have those people that would speak it, that I had enough of a relationship with where I could take it seriously or could follow up with them about the things they were saying. There's a couple of things that jump out to me when I listen to that. First is that whole idea of being a, a highly functioning alcoholic. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, I've known some of them in my lifetime. Absolutely. I'm guessing we've yeah, seen some of them yeah. Uh, yeah. in your experience as well. And then but is there something in, in your experience with our guests where you've seen like what what turns that corner? What, what you know, because what makes a functioning alcoholic become a dysfunctional alcoholic? 
just what Pastor Rick said, they lose something that they really thought and they were proud of. You lose a job or you lose a family member. You burn a bridge that you know you can't get back mm-hmm. to. And that's when the light bulb goes off. Oh, I've been functioning, but have I been healed or have I worked on this stuff? I mm-hmm. can go to work and be okay. Because some go to work and they actually yeah. need it to function yeah. at work. So when they start to lose the things that they think they have in control, now I'm no longer in control. Mm-hmm. And what does this mm-hmm. look like for me? Yeah. And that's probably where functioning alcoholic is a misnomer. Yes. Right? Absolutely. We, we, we use that to convince ourselves. Mm-hmm. I like, oh, look, it. I still yeah. have my job. Oh, yes. like I haven't lost any friends until yeah. you have. My family hasn't said anything to me, yeah. so I'm okay. It's but, okay. But usually everybody else sees mm-hmm. the dysfunction Absolutely before you do. do. And, uh, and then the other thing that stood out was that kind of cyclical pattern. So, like, I made bad decisions because I'm drinking. Mm-hmm. And then I drink because I've made some bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And then you start; they start to rationalize it. Mm-hmm. Well, I did this because of this, or no, that wasn't that. And they start to think about where they lost their way and how they figure out how can I fix it. Mm-hmm. Or I'm already here, yeah. so I might as well continue yeah. in this pattern. It's not going to stop. Yeah. And if you're in an environment, like he f- said at the very beginning, yeah. where it's like that's the accepted norm, mm-hmm. it's kind of an inherited thing mm-hmm. in your family. Yeah people start calling you out on it, but you've seen people doing this your whole life. Yeah. So it's like, well, I'm, I'm not worse than uncle Joe was. I'm yeah. not worse than like, and he's, he's still got a family. Yeah. He's still like, and so it perpetuates. Mm-hmm. No one said anything to uncle Joe and he was fine. So yeah. I'm going to be fine too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see if Rick was fine. Yes. One of the things that I was really lacking, um, went back to, uh, my parents and not having the emotional, or an authentic emotional connection uh, with either one of them. Growing up, I was always by myself. Um, and so isolation became my favorite, favorite place to be. With a father that was extremely outward focused, uh, meant that he wasn't home at home that much. And my mother um, would come to realize later on, probably had some undiagnosed mental health issues. And as a result was very um, absent and distant. He talked about being alone a lot. Do we see isolation in in the onset of addiction? Um, how does isolation play a role in that? I, I know personally, I've seen it more like in those who are struggling with addiction, trying to overcome mm-hmm. it, that isolation mm-hmm. can be really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as you think of our guests, as you think of those who've been on this journey, that isolation mm-hmm. plays a role of leading into addiction or, or that dysfunction? Yeah, because it becomes familiar for them. It becomes a place where it's just them and no one else gets to judge me. I'm in this place by myself, Mm -hmm. and I am by myself because either somewhere down the line they don't have the support because what have they done, the consequences to it, but isolation is familiar. It's okay, I'm by myself. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to be my I don't need anyone to support me, Mm -hmm. and it becomes familiar. It Mm -hmm. becomes that place of safety for them, Mm -hmm. and they figure, if I'm by myself, I can take care of myself, Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Hmm. But it can also lead to a place where oh, there's nobody to counteract place. the narrative in your own mind. Yeah, a very right? dark place. And so when, when you do make a bad choice, as Rick alluded to, and then you, you compound that by drinking to feel better about the bad choice you yeah. made, and then you've got nobody to counter that narrative because you're in isolation. Because there's no accountability for yeah. you. And yeah, it becomes a very dark place because yeah. it's lonely, it's no accountability, mm. and I could keep drinking and drinking mm. and drinking. And it numbs it for the moment, but then the reality starts to set in. Yeah, and he talked about the the 
the relationship with his parents and some of the, the challenges in that with mental health issues. And how have you seen that play out where, I mean, how many of our, our guests maybe even point back to like, man, there was dysfunction early on oh, in my yeah. relationship with my parents and I was trying to fill it in other ways. Very much so. I think when they come to us and we start to have conversations and we start to build relationships with them, they find out, oh, my mom wasn't so safe for me mm. because of this. Or they acknowledge that, oh, my mom had a problem, so this is where I get to forgive or I get to work on. But you see it. You see them acknowledge, yeah, mm. this was the thing, but I didn't realize what it was. Yeah, that, you yeah. often don't see it when you're yeah. in it. Mm -hmm. until you. And even Absolutely. I think Rick even alluded to that, like looking back on it, mm -hmm. my mom had some of these yeah, things. Yeah, it was my mom. Yeah. I didn't expect my mom not to be perfect. Right, yeah. right. that's hard. Rick kind of went into a dark place for a while, you know, as, as the addiction cycled. Uh, really in the depth of addiction, um, but eventually he made a transition and he ended up at Water Street. So let's uh, let's hear what happens next in Rick's story. I was just kind of hanging on. I came in because it was a warm place to stay. Winter was coming. I needed some clothes and uh, and some meals, and so I came in to take advantage of what Water Street had to offer. Only thing I wanted to do was um, was get sober so that I could restore my relationship with my son. So true confessions. I, I, I met Rick when he first came to Water Street many, many years ago. I won't disclose how old we both are, but um, yeah, I remember him coming to Water Street. I remember meeting him in those first weeks and um, he had come off a tough time and, and yeah, he was just looking for a place to sleep. Mm -hmm. looking for a place to do the bare minimum. Uh, he did have, he, he mentions he's thinking about his relationship with his son and wanting to restore that. But really, he just wanted a place to sleep. He, mm -hmm. he needed a place. Uh, everything had fallen apart. His job was done. He needed a place to go. Winter was coming. When our guests come here, how often is, uh, you know, we have guests who come who are like, I need change mm -hmm. and I need help changing. We have other guests who say, I need a bed. <laughs> I need to get out of the cold. Right. How common do we see those two kind of different uh, kind of intentions day. as people come through the door? Every day you will see some, I just want food and shelter and clothing. And then I also see them change after a while. But there are people who honestly, yeah. from the moment we meet them at intake, say, I came here to get help. Where mm. do I get help? Mm. Who helps me here? And that's beautiful because they're acknowledging and yeah. raising hands and saying, I need it. But I also love the person who says, I just need you to clothe me. I just need you to feed me. And then you see them in a week or so. Oh, I'm going to such and such classroom. I'm doing this and I met yeah. this person. So you see the change starting to happen mm. slowly but surely. And it's, it's really yeah. amazing. But it's not uncommon that that first no, step in the door absolutely. is just about food no. or shelter or I'm cold mm. and I need that. That's that first step. And we're absolutely okay with that because yeah. we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. And you meet them with it anyway, even if yes, they're not right saying, please, please help me get to a deeper place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's where they that's are. That's awesome. I, I love that about our team. I love that about you guys uh, embracing like, I, what is it you need now? Mm -hmm. And then we'll walk with you. And we often ask that question, you know, because mm -hmm. they come in and their minds are so full of, I need this, I need, yeah. what is it that we can do today, right now? What can yeah. we do for you? Can we feed you? Can we just have a conversation with you? It's not all about the great picture to, from the very beginning. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And we know with Rick, it, it was more than just a place yeah. to sleep. It was yeah. more than just trying to reconnect with his son. He experienced a lot more here at Water Absolutely. Street. When I was a resident here, I never got email. And I remember... I had left and I would come up every day and I would still check the mail list. Just the 
off chance that somebody sent me something. And one day in August of 94, I walked up and my name was on the mail list and I was shocked. I was stunned. And so I went over to the mail room and I'm like, Miriam, I got mail. And Miriam handed me this card and I read it. And it was a birthday card for Miriam. And it's the things like that, the people who, who communicated that in spite of my rough edges, that they authentically cared about me. At that point, I had committed my life to Christ. At that point, I had been baptized again as an adult. But the relational aspect of it is what allowed continued transformation to occur. See, Rick has to make us cry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I can picture Miriam and, and uh, Miriam worked with us for yeah. a lot of years yeah. and just incredibly loving woman and those simple little things, yeah. man, to get a birth. I, I love it. I know I'm not getting any mail, but I'm going to check the list anyway. I know I'm not getting any mail to check the list yeah. anyway. And then to get one and, uh, and how much that meant to him, just yeah. the impact that had on his life is so powerful. You know, why do relationships matter so much when it comes to overcoming, when it comes to getting free from, from addiction and from the damage of the past? Because it says to someone, I see you. Hmm. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. I acknowledge you. I will walk with you. I support you. And you can imagine, just like he said, he had no body. He was waiting for this one birthday card, and he had received the birthday card. And it was acknowledgement that I see what you need in this moment, and I will provide it for you. And that, that acknowledgement, seeing somebody, is so yeah, powerful. it's very important. Um, he, he had spoken earlier about isolation. Yeah. You know, even as a kid, kind of being on his own a lot, and his parents not connecting when somebody crosses that line from like acknowledging you exist to seeing you as a person, okay. what does that do inside in, in the life of somebody who's, who's struggling to overcome addiction, who's, who's just felt nothing like how, yeah. how does that change somebody? How have you seen, or, you or can see, you think of other guests that's oh my gosh, who's seen I that change one in particular who came to us? She um, also has some disfiguring, and I just see her recently, and I said to her, "I, you look totally different. It's just a, a whole different persona and posture they have. It's just their shoulders start upright, mm. and they're carrying themselves differently. They yeah. no longer have to be shameful. They sit in front of you, and they're willing to talk to you. It's just mm. the support they feel like. Yeah, someone has me. Someone has my back. I'm mm. with them, and it's okay, and I no longer have to live like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's just freedom, I believe, for them mm. Yeah, to know they're supported. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And I, I think that's, too, one of the things, you know, when we look closely at Jesus' ministry, mm. he saw people, right? Yeah, I, I love, I, I remember years ago where we were looking at all the miracles that Jesus did. Mm-hmm. What stood out to me in that, where we looked over every single miracle that Jesus performed, was how each one looked at the individual differently. You know, he, he healed a lot of blind people, but he did it different ways. Yeah. One, he like spit in the mud and, yeah. and rubbed it on their face. And another, mm-hmm. he just said, be healed. Like, 
he saw the individual and what they needed in the moment. Right. And, and when we can do that here at Water Street, when our staff, our life coaches, our case mm-hmm. managers can see somebody and respond to what they need in the moment, we're, we're living out Jesus's mission in yeah. that moment. And that's what I tell my team. The philosophy I have with them is give someone they that something they didn't have when they came in our door. Mm. It might just be a handshake, a hug. It might just be your presence. But if you gave them something mm. that they didn't come in our door, we've done our jobs each and every time. Mm. And I always tell this story because when I first started, it was a young girl here, and she would go person to person and say, and then we walking over the dining hall. And I was like, what is wrong with her? Why is she speaking to everybody? And then I realized I saw the smiles on their face and acknowledgement that you saw me, you remember my name, mm. and I do it today, and the same thing happens. How could you remember who I am? I, because I want to remember you. Yeah, yeah, I have to remember you, and it's just their faces changed completely. A couple months ago, I was in uh, I was in chapel, and Ron Gibson was leading chapel in the morning, and he like I don't know he he I don't know why he even risked this because I would have blown it if I was him he walked around the room and called everybody by name and shook their hand and Mm -hmm. said something specific to their life and their journey, encouraging about them. Like just to encourage them at this phase, like, Hey, how's the new job going? I heard you started a new job on Monday and like, (laughs) Hey, like what's going on with the roommate? I know we had somebody like, and just table to table, name the person by name and everything. I'm like, he's going to get halfway through the room and run into somebody he doesn't know their name Mm -hmm. and it's going to feel horrible. But he didn't. (laughs) He made it all the way through the room, named every person in the room and said a word of encouragement that was specific to their circumstance. I was like, that is Jesus at work. And that is you, the the case managers, the life coaches doing that every day just blows me away. And, um, And the impact it has you know, Rick's life was changed, you know, by, by that card from Miriam, by the relationships that were established here, the, the hope he found in Jesus, but the relational support yeah, he got as well. It's important. Let's hear the rest of Rick's story. I worked at Water Street from 1990, January of 1994 through the end of 2006. In that time, I started out bailing rags and bought bailing cardboard. I started going to Lancaster Bible College in that time. And as I was going through Lancaster Bible College, I started working with men, with the men in men's ministries. A friend of mine called me and said, hey, I started a mission in Wilkesbury, um, and it's a residential men's program. And would you, be, would you be interested in coming up and running the program for me? The change that Rick experienced also led to a life in ministry. Um, he, he took a job here at Water Street, actually ended up having several different jobs um, behind the scenes and in ministry here, and then eventually went on to work at the Scranton-Wilkesbury Mission, running the programs. And then in New Hampshire, he was the president of a rescue mission in New Hampshire. And now he's returned back to Lancaster. Um, he's serving on our board. He's serving as a pastor in the community. And um, it's amazing to see what God's done. Absolutely. So we occasionally see guests still take jobs here at Water Street. What um, what do you think moves them to do that, um, to want to work here at Water Street? And then how do you see that impact their journey? It's two components, the support they receive mm. and the acknowledgement that I've done well. They see Water Street as the ultimate for them. I've learned everything. I've got my feeding, my footing here, my foundation mm. here. And the people that work here, 
did that, helped me do that, you know, through Jesus. But they believe, like, I need to give back. A lot of them will say, I need to give back. Yeah. And they're inspiring to another guest who sees them and says, didn't I go through the same process with you? Right. So it's twofold. They inspire, right. but it's also encouragement for them that I've made it. I've done it. A job well done. Mm -hmm. And they're so proud of themselves. Yeah. Like, when they're in the kitchen and they're doing things, even at tasks, they're so proud at what they do. And you, you, see, you see it in you see their faces and they'll, they'll tell you, you know, I made that or I put that together. And it's just <laughs> the support they receive, yeah. the love they receive, yeah. and the acknowledgement, a job well done. Yeah. And there, there's an affirmation they receive in that. Absolutely. And, you know, our, our, you know, our little quote, restored to be restorers. Yeah. That's our podcast name. Yeah. You know, it's seeing a guest who, who's experienced restoration now providing restoration to mm -hmm. others by being a part of the staff. Which a lot like, of times they don't so even realize amazing. they are. Yeah restoring or restoring yeah. another one's faith yeah. and I can make it. And then that's the ultimate beauty too. I don't know what I'm doing, right. but I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's exciting to see when they do that elsewhere as well, yeah, going out to absolutely. other kinds of jobs, other kinds of ministries, yeah. but it is really special when, when they're able to do it right here yeah, at water street where day. they receive that life change and can offer it to others as well. Yeah. It's exciting. At the end of the day, and something that we've tried to communicate at the rescue missions that I was at was how the lack of relationship, authentic, mutually accountable relationship is probably the biggest stumbling block that a lot of our men and women and children, like all of them, if they don't have that, that's like the vital piece of the puzzle that's missing. On those days where I, um, sometimes question, am I doing the right thing? If this, you know, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? God has a way of using somebody to remind me that in the same way that those people spoke into my life, I have the privilege and the opportunity to speak into other people's lives. That's the thing. That's what it's about. I think this is where Rick's story, um, if you haven't related to any other part of Rick's story, like how can you not relate yeah. to this? You know, how critical those relationships, the people who see you, as you said earlier, who demonstrate the love of God to you, what a critical role that plays in all of our journeys and life transformation. Um, I'm going to ask a different question of you. Um, who was that relationship for you? Who has, and maybe it's 20 people, but if you could pick one, who's that person who, you know, they just, they've, they've loved you. They've walked <laughs> alongside that accountability and encouragement mm. that's helped you be who you are. Yeah. I was a team mom. Mm. Very, <laughs> I tell it to that guest all the time. I was a team mom and I should have been thrown away. Mm. My mom struggled with addiction and my grandmom seen Bassett. She's seen that I was not going to be a statistic. Mm. She saw me through college when I did. I wanted to give up. I felt like I couldn't do it. Mm. She took care of my son so I can go to college and still allowed me to be a young adult, but also had challenged me to be so much better than I thought mm. I was. So she saw me when I didn't see myself. Wow. And she didn't see me as her granddaughter. She saw me as a girl that she wanted to support, who she loved very much, 
But it was the push. It was the acknowledgement that I know this is hard because she never told me it wasn't hard. And she never said, this is going to be easy because I'm going to take your baby and you go back to school. No, it's going to be extremely hard because I'm going to hold you to standards Mm. that you sometimes don't feel like you can accomplish. Mm. But she did, and she truly walked alongside me until the day she died. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a gift. She was amazing. She was a gift. That kind of relationship, the, the love... Mm-hmm. And the accountability. Yeah. Those two go on hand in hand. I think like, you know, that's Rick reflected that your story with your grandmother. That's mm-hmm. just so beautiful because she could have. And sometimes as grandparents, yeah. you and I can both relate yes, to this. We, we can. can overdo the love side, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. We're going to do. Oh, no, we're just yeah. going to love them, love them, love them. Love them. No. Oh, we. But the accountability is so important, yeah. too. And those relationships um, play such a key role. I love, you know, Rick's thoughts there about that role that it plays and how transformation occurs because of those relationships. God uses people to demonstrate his love in tangible ways to us that we can't just experience uh, out of thin air. And so we have the joy and the privilege of being able to do that. I know I've experienced it in my life. Interestingly enough, Rick is one of those people in my life who demonstrates love and accountability to me. And, you know, as we went on our journeys and, um, you know, where I could walk alongside him when he was struggling. Um, and then now he's my pastor and he's the one who holds me accountable and he Mm -hmm. lifts me up when I'm struggling with stuff and reminds me of who God wants me to be. And, um, I'm so grateful for him. I'm grateful for you, TJ, joining us today and, uh, all that you do for our guests and for our community. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I, I encourage you to think about who is that one person who, who's been that source of love and accountability in your life, that relationship that's brought you to a place of restoration. Um, give thanks to God for them today. Thanks for listening.